1: it's so rare that you get dramas that are like this good with story acting subject matter you can't tear your eyes off it
2: when you're in it you're really really in it it really is quite gripping
1: yeah there's just something very special about it it kind of of, like floors you a little bit
2: you can't fault I don't think anyone's performance in it. I think Coleman's fantastic in it as well.
1: It's such a powerful film that I just think more people should see it.
2: I think it's a great film. I think Nancy Hopkins is amazing in it. It's a fucking hard watch, though, isn't it? Like, yeah. It's
0: it's a tough one. Hey, everyone! Welcome to this episode of Flicks Watch Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Hannah. Hello. Jen. Hello. Helen. Hello. And we're talking about The Father.
1: Hello, film fans. Thanks for listening today. Joining Flix Watcher, we have Jen and Hannah. If you could please...
3: Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself
2: too seriously, and... 6-1 since that matters. And, what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to.
1: Download the new Bumble now. Say hello to our listeners and tell them a little bit more about who you are and what you do, please.
2: Hello, I am Jen Offord. I'm one of the co-presenters and producers of the Standard Issue podcast, which is, we like to call it, a magazine for ears and we cover everything that interests women, which is everything. I've kind of forgotten the, the strap line we have there, but we only have women on the podcast, basically. Spoiler alert. Um, what? And what? I, I thought one man once. Once a year, we let men talk, which is International <laughs> Men's Day, which is yeah. sort of the equivalent of how it works the other way around. So <laughs> that's just how we roll. And Sounds I'm funny. also the author of the fantastic football book, The Year of the
0: Robin. Yeah, talking about Charlton Athletic.
2: Yes, well, it's actually, Kobe, it's it's sort of talking about the world through one specific crazy season in the history of Charlton Athletic. So there's there's something there for everyone, not just Charlton Athletic fans, which is just as well, because that is quite a small pool of
0: people. <laughs> Niche. But it must be quite a fun team to follow. I mean, being a, being a Liverpool supporter is like a bit boring nowadays. You're just kind of there. Oh, um, oh, the first I heard about Charlton Athletic was when... Uh, We found out that was Rodney Trotter's middle name in the Only and Horses.
2: Yeah, (laughs) correct. Yeah, that is inspired by the football team. We won the FA Cup once in 1947 and we still commemorate that win. That's a little uh, note on the quality you can expect to see at Tartan Athletic. We actually drew one all last night with Forest Green Rovers. Have you ever heard of them?
0: Nope. No, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> uh, well tell us a bit about the book. Why did you why did you choose to write it? How's it are you enjoying promoting it, enjoying talking about it? Was it fun to was it a fun project? Was it a fun project?
2: It was it was it was kind of like a nice thing to write because it's a lot of it is, is sort of part memoir, so it's kind of about me and my family and my brothers who are kind of very integral in my relationship with football and sport. So it's kind of nice reflecting on like you know stuff that went on in my childhood and then also um spoiler alert I got pregnant um while I was following this season. So there's kind of stuff about that as well and my daughter and and the the sort of like relationships that people do have with football through their families, I guess. So it mm. was kind of nice and uh, looking sort of nostalgic and, you know, thinking about the days when we used to consume football through teletext and um, Radio 5 Live and, and and all of that kind of well, stuff. So well,
0: it used to go to like Rumbelows for like five o'clock on a Saturday to people see, to see the scores.
2: Funnily enough, Kobe, there is a very famous uh, Charlton Athletic clip, um, bit of footage of... One of our kind of like star players, I guess, from the late 80s, early 90s, called Carl Lieburn, whose son now plays for Charlton Athletic. And I interviewed his wife, Tracy, who's the player liaison officer for the book. And there's footage of him winning the Rombelos Man of the match. Award and he's awarded a TV from Rumble <laughs> in Greenwich for being the man of
0: the match. That is, I and mean, Rumbleo's is a deep cut, and then you had the story to match it. I, I <laughs> it, just,
2: it makes it makes me really sad that that children now won't understand a time when footballers won TVs from Rumbleo's as as their reward for doing well at football. It was a different time.
0: Um, who who are you down at the bottom of my screen?
3: Me yeah hi um, I'm Hannah Walker Brown. I'm the creative director of Broccoli Productions, which is a joint venture with Sony Music Entertainment. We're a podcast production company based out of London. Um, I've made audio docs and podcasts sort of for the last 15 years and I'm also the author of a delicate game Brain Injury Sport and Sacrifice, which is also kind of a book about football, but not it's the lens of corruption and I guess neurodegenerative disease through football. So slightly different.
0: You're talking about American football there, primarily, aren't you?
3: Uh, No, I'm talking about Mm. soccer, rugby. It was grounded in um, the NFL, but actually this book primarily focuses on uh, English sports.
0: Okay. So I've read the first few chapters. That shows my my lack of uh, (laughs) um, reading all the way through. But I, well, first of all, Broccoli Productions, I think is awesome. My favourite one, my favourite, the favourite, podcast to listen to at the moment is the, um, well, I've, I've listened to all of them Is the, we were always here, uh, oh, go, thank you. going back through the, um, the AIDS epidemic through the eyes of people who who lived through it first. And I think there's, there seems to be like a, a wave of content surrounding that at the moment. And it, it it makes my heart so sad to, you know, all the people we've missed out on starting from, from a film point of view, you had like Howard Ashman who wrote like Little, Little Mermaid, all, all the best songs in there and some of Aladdin, some of Beauty and the Beast. And it's, it's really good to hear these stories uncovered and made human in a way that just hasn't been done for, for a long time. So that, that podcast to me, I think it's, it's fantastic and recommend everyone listen to it, but I'm a big fan, also a big fan of canceled as a, like a little cheeky, cheeky stab at cheeky stab at some, that's some people. Like,
3: that's the podcast everyone loves to hate and we just keep making it. Cause we kind of, I don't know, I make both of those shows, so <laughs> you? thank you. <laughs> yeah. And canceled, I'm just like, oh my God, that like. I've made so many episodes and I don't think Americans get the sarcasm of it because we're not cancelling people. We're just talking about how absurd cancellations, but through these stories Mm. and they think we're being really serious. So they think it's really crap. And then I'm (laughs) like, oh, we should just stop making this. But for some reason I can't. And I just keep making them. And I don't know, but thanks. Maybe, maybe it needs more love. I don't know.
2: (laughs) Can I ask you a question about cancelled? Sorry. Yeah, of yeah, Of course. Have you found anyone who's actually been cancelled yet? Who hasn't yeah. become more famous as a result of their cancellation? Yeah, do
3: you know what? The people... I don't know why I'm laughing because this is... I mean, it just shows where the world's at. But the people that get cancelled are actually the people that didn't do anything wrong or were cancelled mm. for reasons like, you know, being gay or trans or things that should never be cancelable offences. They never come back. Whereas, you know, you sort of... Kevin Spacey's, Kevin Hart's, etc. are thriving. Mm. Robin Thicke just did one on Bloodlines, the song. How oh, did um, you? He's having the time of his life. So, yeah, no. If you're if you're a good person, you probably will get cancelled. But um, bad people make a comeback.
0: Uh, well, tell us about uh, a delicate game. Sure. Because that's, and that ties in with the film a, a bit we're going to talk about. Tell us about the kind of premise and why did you, why did you write this?
3: Yeah. Um, don't know. Ask myself the same question a lot. It's really hard writing a book as Jen can probably um, attest to as well. So I made a four part audio documentary a few years ago for Audible about this subject. In particular, Jeff Astle, uh, West Bromwich Albion player, um, Six Caps for England. And he died very tragically. And his cause of death at the time was dementia. But once his brain was kind of re inspected, um, they found chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which is a neurodegenerative disease caused by repetitive hits to the head. Um, I'm symbolizing this right now. This is kind of a lot more complex, and I'm going to do this kind of very quick rundown. And I sort of started to hang out with his family a bit, into his daughter, and his wife who were just incredible women who have sort of been fighting the FA for 20 years to get answers um, and were promised a lot of studies were promised a lot of support didn't get any and kind of led this campaign to to ultimately you know make the game safer and that sort of opened up a can of worms for me I then started looking into it across all sports globally and essentially once the kind of podcast was done and that had made an impact and I'd seen how much of an impact that had made. I just couldn't quite leave it alone Mm. and just felt compelled to sort of do more. So the book is a collection of kind of human stories, case studies, but also giving the kind of history of this disease, the kind of it's entangled in sort of male ego, corruption, masculinity, violence. So the psychological impact, the historical impact and ultimately just asks how we got here and what we're going to do about it. So it's a kind of investigative, investigative and intimate piece. I'd say, I don't know. Jen's read it was a <laughs> review.
2: <laughs> it's brilliant. It's, it's a very good, it's a very good read and the podcast's great as well. Just FYI, if you want to listen to that as well.
0: <laughs> I, I became aware of CTE through, yeah, through American football. And yeah. I was all like, well, they should stop playing that game because it sounds horrific and you yeah. hear, you see all these stories. And I guess a lot of people saw the Will Smith film. Um, concussion, Mm. but I didn't realize it was an issue. I mean, I, I used to play rugby as a kid and now I'm like seeing, just witnessing that I was like, oh my God, have I, and I used to be like a front row prop. Like, so I'd literally be in the ruck every day, getting smashed in and out. And, um, so I'm, I'm like wholly aware of what's kind of going on but i didn't realize it is a, a concern in the game uh, well it's concern in football is that due to heavier balls then or is it, uh, the, is it less concerned now or?
3: heading
1: mm.
3: yeah heading there's like that's a common misconception about the balls because actually they're exactly the same and, same weight they? Like, yeah not, the they weren't heavier back in the day well the leather footballs way way back but the because they were heavier, they couldn't travel at as much speed. Right. So now the synthetic balls can travel much faster. So the impact is essentially the same. That's kind of a, a sort of a- Force equals mass times acceleration. Yeah. And actually this has been around for way longer than anyone thinks. I Mm. think it, it keeps being spoken about as kind of a new phenomenon, but there are papers written by doctors for the FA and PFA like 40 50 60 years ago that are pointing to this there's like conversations that Gordon Taylor had with people recorded on letters about this so you know it's a very shady scary thing to dive into but actually you know it's not new and the impact is massive and I think at the moment unfortunately it's just the tip of the iceberg but yes, yeah, heading it's repetitive hits to the head and mm you know, in a match, you might not get that many headers, but it's the drills in training
0: when you're heading the the
3: ball sort of 100 times a week.
0: And it's the fact that you play it from a young age. That's the thing that kind of compounds with the NFL, isn't it?
3: Yeah, and it's, you know, the brain hasn't developed and you're just causing serious damage. And especially if you're kind of, you know, the big thing at the moment is if you're playing in the kind of the Premier Leagues, the kind of upper echelons, you've got access to great medical care, but also you've got, time to sit out like you, you don't lose your salary if you need to kind of recover whereas if you move down to grassroots and kids that's not a lot of people's kind of main source of income so if you're playing every week saturday sunday you're getting an injury and then you're going to work so you, you you're you not giving yourself the time to recover and kids as well like they just copy whatever they see in the big leagues you know mm-hmm. so that's why it has to kind of shift it's not just about protecting the star athletes but that trickle effect that comes down to people that Just don't have the same privileges.
1: The weird thing is, once you start talking about like not having heading, people get weirdly defensive, and Mm. it suddenly becomes like you're you're taking away the game, and it's it's going to ruin the game. And it's like we're talking about serious brain injury here, and you're talking about like a a heading a goal. So
3: the culture is the hardest thing, like untangling, as particularly male ego. I have to say, from this, is harder than actually you know putting it to the sporting bodies because again, I can totally relate to it because when england are winning it's the only time anyone's ever nice to you on the tube in london like mm-hmm. the energy just totally shifts like we'd all love that forever but i don't the, think the olympic games out as well oh, that. That the, oh, oh, the Olympics! <laughs> i remember being on a train they were announcing who was winning over the tannoy like not even when the trains were but like the culture is the biggest thing to change but it's that thing like you just don't want to believe the the thing you love is bad for you you know mm. and that's really hard to kind of reconcile it's like you know when an actor you love is accused of like really awful things or your favorite film suddenly becomes tainted like it's, it's not the same because this is like other people's lives that are ultimately being damaged but yeah it's a really hard one to navigate because we love football and we feel it belongs to us you know so that's tricky
0: And that leads to a form of dementia, which segues to the film, which we've, sorry, we've taken a while to get to the films, but I think that you guys got two interesting books to talk about. Um, But we're talking about today as a film from Netflix, The Father, which is your choice, Hannah. Can you tell Mm. us why you chose it? And then I'll get my stopwatch out and you have uh, 60 seconds to explain the synopsis. Well,
3: why I chose it, other than being more depressed, um, uh, the synopsis, are you timing me? God, I feel under immense pressure all of a sudden. Yeah, you have
0: 60 seconds. So tell us why you chose it first.
3: Uh, I chose it because well ultimately because of the subject matter it's something obviously I look into my research very interested in it everyone loves Olivia Colman didn't see it when it came out um sort of missed that whole hype I think I was finishing my book so anything that happened there in that year forget it so just sort of catching up with it now
0: and the timer starts for the synopsis now
3: So essentially, Anthony, played by Anthony Hopkins, helpfully, (laughs) is a man, I guess, gradually succumbing to dementia, feeling abandoned, losing his kind of inability to grasp the world around him, refusing any sort of help from his daughter, Anne, played by Coleman. And we kind of watch his kind of descent. And I guess alongside the representation of neurodegenerative disease from the sufferer, I think you also get this real palpable sense of kind of the grief of losing someone while they're still alive, but in a way that isn't melodramatic, in a way that kind of is very it's not exploitative. And I guess actually it's sort of painfully accurate um, without playing into stereotypes or overdoing it. The only thing I would say is I've got a slight issue with the music, but I'm sure we'll get onto to that because I've only got five seconds left and that <laughs> is it. Oh.
0: It's a tough, it's a tough film to uh, place a synopsis on. I, I'm going to turn over to, to Jen first to give us your lowdown on the, what do you think about The Father? Have you seen it before?
2: Yes, I have seen it before. Um, I need to do a little disclosure now is that the time I've seen it before is the only time I've seen it, but I do remember it, it's fine. I just didn't have time, guys. Uh, You didn't have to do
0: disclosure. You could have conned your way through this. I know, I was
2: going to, but then I, I felt guilty. I felt like I had to tell you. Anyway, so... Yeah, I know what you mean about the structure because it's not, there isn't really, it's kind of, I suppose that's the point, isn't it, right? Mm. That dementia is a kind of like never ending sort of, well, I mean, obviously it, it does eventually, but it's like a kind of long descent into increasingly horrible situation for everyone involved. And I guess maybe that's why they deliberately structured it in such a way that... I don't know I think that really comes across doesn't it in the way that mm. they've done it. I think it's a great film. I think the performances in it are fantastic. I think Anthony Hopkins is amazing in it. It's a fucking hard watch though isn't it? Like Yeah. It's it's a tough one.
0: I think there's films like this I've I always know bit, I like them but I'm always like oh, I just don't know when the when the time is and the time is when people like Hannah bring it to, to Flixwatcher. Yes, yeah, sorry. I mean, I was going to go they'll, they'll chicken run and
3: then we were like, no, don't do chicken run. And <laughs> now I feel like this is the week we should have done chicken run, you know, no, spirit no. coming together.
0: Yeah. We're saying this, uh, shortly after we've, we've had the announcement that the, the, the queen has passed, I guess, that's what you're alluding to Hannah, uh, well, cause might go Bloody
3: up. madness in the world, <laughs> Yes, yeah. but I mean, what's chickens running around building planes when we're living, we are anyway.
0: One of my Sorry, favorite, carry on. One of my favorite um, posts of the past few months has been from my brother. And um he said, I just wish we'd lived in precedented times. Because every day <laughs> is like unprecedented times, unprecedented, another unprecedented. Can we just like chill out for like a month, a day, or week?
3: I, I quite missed the unprecedented times. That was like COVID, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, when it's the,
0: unprecedented. anyway, Helen, had you seen it before?
3: I had. So I kind
1: of only really knew this from obviously the, the, the Oscars moment when. Everyone thought Chadwick Boseman was going to win, and Anthony Hopkins won. And I was a bit like, "Oh, that's a bit crap." Like, you know, Anthony Hopkins has won loads of times. Like, give it, give it someone else. And then I, I saw this at the, the cinema when it came out. I was like, "Oh, yeah, so he did deserve it." by far mm. like the his performance is just incredible. The way he moves through all the different stages is it's just incredibly real. And mm. I just found. It's just a really disorientating experience and really heartbreaking. And it's one of those films where not only do you kind of see the, the the person who's experiencing dementia, but you're also kind of feeling it through the people who are experiencing the loss of the person. Like sometimes the films tend to feel a bit, a little bit one sided, mm. but in this you you're getting it at all different angles. And yeah, just like acting is just like top tier and there's just really subtle differences in kind of the direction and in, in the way that the set changes which I assume is probably taken from it being it being the play before but subtle changes in like paintings move and things move and it looks like people are moving in but they could be moving out and there's sort of shifting in characters where it, it could be Anne but it could mm. also be Catherine, or it could be someone completely different that is only there for one moment. It's, it's, yeah, it's. Is, yeah, it, it's, is it's Anne
0: 100% it, Olivia Coleman? Mm. Mm.
1: I think so, from what I've read. But then there may be instances where what we're seeing through Anthony, he thinks is Anne, but is not Anne, if
0: that makes sense. Well, that's, I mean, that's what, I've, that's obviously what, well, not obviously, but that's why I interpreted, but also, um, it was it Lively Williams who played the other version of Anne and, um, but also played the carer, but also played the, the nurse in the, in the care home at the end. So, um, that kind of shows that if it's bleeding to a lot of different timelines, um, I, I thought this film was great. I loved the way it was disorientating just when you talk, you touch upon the sets, like Helen mm. in film, in films, you, tip, you typically have wildly different sets. So, you know, exactly where you are, you know, okay, that's this person's house. That's the, that's the shop. That's whatever. But the, um, his flat versus Anne's flat, I'm not too sure if there ever were distinct, two different places. The, the decoration changed a bit, uh, but it's ostensibly that kind of, that kind of flat and that kind of London kind of house mm. you, your flat, you're in there, isn't it? So that's where you get, the doorway was always like the same kind of dark doorway. So just those, those kind of subtle set designs and production designs to make us of kilter as the viewer, as well as Mark Gatiss, being the first person that turns up, that's potentially a suitor for Anne, but then we're not sure if he actually is because then Rufus Sewell is Anne's husband, who's not supposed to be there because she's getting involved with a guy in Paris. And this Paris, and this Paris story. I, I love the way the different storylines keep traveling through the whole film, like the Paris, the chicken, the watch. So and much you, chicken. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's like it just it just pulls you in. I just I was, I was fascinated by it. I was absolutely fascinated by it.
3: Yeah, it's interesting what you say about the set as well because like everything was the same shape, even mm. though things moved in and out, and maybe that is, like you said, Helen, a kind of reference to the stage play, because obviously you're you're quite limited in what you can kind of move around and manoeuvre, but actually there's also that sense of, you know, I guess from his point of view, like suffering from a disease like dementia, which is kind of relentless once it sort of comes on, but then that can be kind of drawn out, but these things keep coming back or, you know, memories, memories, sometimes you're completely like compos and you know who everyone is and then all of a sudden you don't or you're in your space and then you're not and there's kind of constant that disorientation not just of like the sort of internal space of the brain but actually everything going on around you and everyone and I think that was done really well that kind of even with Anne, because there would have been moments where he wouldn't have recognized her or yep. he would have seen someone else. Like if that, And and again, even kind of, it's Imogen Poots, isn't it, playing yep. Laura, the carer, but then also Laura's the daughter. And I, I thought that moment with them in, in the tap dancing when suddenly he turns, it's like you're constantly in that, you're like sort of on eggshells in that adrenaline space where you don't know what might happen next. And for every kind of good minute, there could be a bad 10 coming straight after. And it can be really violent. I don't mean sort of he's violent, but but that kind of leaves you with whiplash. And I think you you saw that in Olivia Colman when in that scene in particular when she's really trying not to cry, and you know that where her mouth is going. And I feel like we've all had that situation where you're you know you're trying to keep up an appearance, but you're you're going, and it's really difficult. And I just think it's that constant like you're always on an edge. I think with something like that. And actually, by having it all in the same space, it did feel like it was sort of getting smaller and smaller, which I imagine is probably kind of how everyone feels in that situation. It almost felt like having Paris as a thing was like her escape or even like whether that is like an actual escape or Mm -hmm. whether that was just sort of, you know, to be somewhere else other than in that situation. I don't know, maybe I'm going too deep into it. It's quite conceptual, but I just felt the way I felt watching it was was the way I felt when I've interviewed people who have gone
0: through that. I think it's inviting you to think conceptually and deep into it. So I don't, don't apologise for, <laughs> for doing so. I'm still kind of flabbergasted by what I've seen and what, mm. I, had, had anyone seen Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, uh, which is the, the, the counterpoint? Helen, do you, do you just assume that it was going to be Chadwick Boseman based on that performance of Ma Rainey's, or was it purely because he, because he passed away and it was a good performance?
1: Yeah, because he'd passed away and the way they restructured it and like, mm. I was reading about it and apparently Basically, Anthony Hopkins thought that he was going that Chadwick Boseman was going to win, so he didn't bother staying awake. And the producers thought that was going to happen, so that's why they all kind of like shifted it. And then, obviously, it was announced. And I mean, his performance, Chadwick Boseman's performance, is great. I don't think the Chad Murney's um, Black Bottom is that great a film, um, but yeah, it was just that. And it's kind of weird because all of that kind of happening, I kind of. Kind of like undersells like this performance being like one of the greatest performances on on the screen. Like I find Anthony Hopkins can be a little bit hammy sometimes. And I'm not like, oh, he's, he's so great, he's amazing. I'm like, yeah, sometimes it's good, sometimes he's a bit hammy. Oh yeah. Um, but this it moved me in ways that a lot of performances haven't or haven't done recently. And yeah, there's just something very very special about it. And it just kind of moves through different stages, and just as you're kind of sort of maybe getting used to one part, it you just like he's gone there, and you you just it kind of like floors you a little bit. The performance, I think,
2: it is incredible. It's really um, it's so tragic. I mean, he's eighty three as well. Yeah, sharp as a button. It's really tragic to watch, and I think like it it's very it's very upsetting, isn't it? It's like it's not just it's like actively quite distressing to, to watch Yeah, but I always have this thing with him I don't know if you remember there was a programme in the 90s called Good Morning with Richard not Judy yeah yeah
0: Richard Herring and Lee, Lee uh, yeah
2: Lee uh, Stuart Lee and Richard Lee, Herring yeah. and they used to do this sketch where Anthony Hopkins would like Enter into correspondence with like another one of his leading ladies, so Deborah Winger or, or someone like that, and he'd be corresponding with them about. it would show them like writing letters to each other, basically, and he'd be writing letters to them about something really dull, like butchers in seventeenth-century England or something. I've made that up. That's not an actual example, <laughs> but um, and then they'd start talking about that, and then he would like suddenly pivot into this like quite aggressively quite sexually aggressive tone and then at the end he would always sign off PS I am wanking as I write this and <laughs> I remember that line now. I couldn't remember.
3: That's That's so weird. Yeah.
2: And and I can't watch him without thinking about that sketch in um Well
3: that would really Put a
2: different edge on this film, I think. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't think about it so much watching this film because I was <laughs> too busy crying. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, um, it's, it, it's just, I don't really know what to say. What hasn't been said already? It's, it's a really, really brutal and devastating watch. And I'm sort of fortunate enough not to have known anyone who has suffered from. Dementia yet in my lifetime, mm. but um, the most harrowing thing, and and like you say, very disorientating, and and you know that sense of unease and uncertainty about what's going to happen, and the volatility of it, I guess, mm. which is something that I personally find really difficult as well. In other people, like the volatile people, I mean, no one really likes volatile people, do they? But I've, it's something that I sort of really struggle with. Um, so yeah, I did find it a difficult watch, but you can't fault, I don't think anyone's performance in it. I think Coleman's fantastic in it as well.
3: Yeah, totally. All of them, every single one.
0: So we, we've had, this is our fourth, um, Hopkins film in the, in the Watch studios. We've had the two popes, um, Silence of the Lambs and The Edge. Um, <laughs> 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 the different
1: of- performances i think probably in all of those isn't it really
0: absolutely and i mean in the two popes and silence of the lambs again is is great but then you have the edge performance which is the it doesn't phone it in it's just not, it's probably not that asked about what he's what he's doing but also the films i find it a bit weird um and i think that's probably one of the reasons as well i didn't want i wasn't that fussed about watching so i was just kind of thought he's not going to be asked is he <laughs> <laughs> but he was, so it was, I mean, this is leaning on Anthony Ant- Hopkins, I think we should talk about it, the rest of the cast briefly before we get to the scores. But he he was more than asked in this film. And um, I think that, that switch when he, when he talks about the tap dancing piece and that, that switch in particular was like magnificent.
3: I think that bit as well, what it really got in that moment, which again, I know this from speaking to a lot of people that have gone through this, but it's when that blame suddenly goes on the person closest to you, the one that's trying to help. And they're mm. saying all of these things to you that aren't true. And you kind of can't fight back because you don't want to make the situation worse, but then you're kind of having to take all this shit that isn't true. And it, and I thought that exchange between him and Coleman was especially just powerful in that moment, that kind of, he suddenly turns on her the constant reference to the younger daughter mm. like she's also kind of the only person trying to help but is the kind of seen as the evil one and actually like how you navigate that because it's so isolating for both parties like the person going through it because your world's just disappearing before you but then also the person that's being the carer because you're the person you care about is disappearing before you and any kind of relationship you've had since appearing before you but then on top of that you're getting all the blame so I think that's what I did really well that kind of the characters were both multi-dimensional it wasn't just sort of one-sided but without being like dramatic or this is so bad like nothing really hugely dramatic happened and I think it was in that kind of just the kind of it was kind of normal that but then kind of absurd and obscure and strange but But they weren't like, you know, big dramatic scenes as such. It was it was more the emotion that was dramatic. It sort of
2: plays like a almost like a psychological thriller, though, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. In that you know that something isn't right, but you don't really know what it is. Obviously, you know what it is because you know that the character has dementia. But but in that way, that if it had been a psychological thriller, like almost like this guy is being gaslit or whatever, like it's 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 really interesting.
3: And there's also this thing of like, you just get on with it. If that happens to you, you just get on with it. You just deal with it, you know? And, and I think that is, is powerful. And, I've, and to see that represented, I think is important. The thing with the watch is
1: just so specific because it's such a, a common thing that happens is the sense sort of something's been moved or something's been lost. And the belief that someone has taken it is, is so strong, but we know that he's just lost it. He's just mistaken it. and Just kind of like seeing that and those very small things that uh, do you, do? You, they say like, do, should you play along? Should you play into it? Or should you say, no, actually, no, that hasn't happened. And you get various sort of stages in that. And I think that it's just really kind of like grounded, like my grandma that had dementia and that just kind of came back to where things are like oh you've moved them so like, well we haven't moved them it's like well they're there it's, it's just really just feels really like real
0: i think one of the, the real the real conversations that were had with the, between the characters were between the two people that played and and husband or partner and you know that you know those conversations have happened about we should put him in a care home we should put him in this and no it's, not, it's my father and this that leads to tension like mega tension between a couple or a family at the time who's kind of wrestling with that and those I've never seen it I've never seen that kind of that kind of played out in, on film before I've, so I so I was really I was really kind of impressed but also misheartened by it um I' hate to be the husband I would hate to be the partner says you need to put your mum or your dad in or someone in the care home. And it's almost like, it's almost like a selfish piece, but it's also a mission that we can't cope on. It's, it's in the mission that something's wrong here and we're not the people to deal with it, but also it's like, say it almost seems like you are uncaring at the same time and it's, it's, it's a really complex conversation that too many people have to go through. And yeah, I, again, just that side of it was like, like head in hand, like, no, I don't want to see this anymore. Mm. Um, but yeah. Um, is there anything else you guys want to say before we head to the scores?
3: Just don't think it needed that music.
0: What was the music? I didn't, that, I didn't
3: know. And I know, um, who is it? Ludovico Ainardi And I know, like, he's obviously excellent and makes exceptional scores. I just felt, if I was watching that on stage live and that was the music, I'd be up for it. I thought it would be amazing. But I just felt in this, at times, that was the only thing that aired a little bit on sort of hamming up the emotion or, I, I, I just felt it could have been a bit more still, everything around it. Yeah. For me personally, that was the only thing that I found a little bit sort of melodramatic in places where it, where it didn't need to be, where I thought it was powerful enough without it. I
2: don't. Really... I didn't notice
0: the music that much, no, so no, I on. didn't.
2: But I I generally hate that when um mm. when a film tries too hard to kind of like evoke something.
3: Yeah, it's weird because I not It wasn't trying to evoke because it, it was already there. But mm. I just there were moments where I, I really noticed it because I always noticed music in things, mm. and there was just a couple of where I thought, oh, you didn't need that could have just been a bit more settled because it's so chaotic mm. anyway, the feeling without that I just I don't know that that was the only thing for me that I wasn't totally sold on. Do
2: you know what I it's, mean that it's like the way American documentaries work where they put like they put this bed of like infuriating crucial music over everything. like And it always feels like it's going to like a break, an advert yeah, break. Yeah, and yeah, you're just like, we don't need it. Like we're, we're, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's a bit condescending in a way. Like you can't manage to figure out what your emotion should be without it. like a laughter track.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. laugh now. Whereas if I felt, if I'd heard that live with the score, and seen it on stage i think you would have had a visceral response to music of that quality so it would have really done something different but yeah that i mean it's minor i'm not saying i hated the music i'm just saying for me could have pulled back a bit but who cares probably no one else
0: (laughs) (laughs) well guys let's head to the scores
3: I'm Kate Lever, host of Who's a Good Dog, the podcast for anyone who's ever loved a dog. We're one of the other podcasts in the Stripped Media family. Each episode, I ask a brilliant person to introduce me to their dog and tell me how having a dog has changed their life. Listen to Who's a Good Dog wherever you get your Podcasts.
1: So welcome to the Flixwatcher scores. They are out of five. You may have decimal places if you wish. And we will start with you, please, Hannah, with your recommendability.
3: I'd, I'd recommend, I'd say a five, to be honest, to recommend, because I do think it's something that everyone should watch in order to gain an understanding of this disease.
0: Jen?
2: Uh, yeah, I'd have to agree with that a five because it's the performances, they're so good. Like I would recommend something on the strength of the performances alone. So yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd agree with that. I think five is, is reasonable. Helen?
1: Yeah, I'm going to give it a five as well. I, it's so rare that you get dramas that are like this good with kind of story, acting, subject matter. It's just It's a drama, but it's not overly dramatic and everything feels very personal and it it is a tough watch, but it's such a powerful film that I just think more people should see it.
0: I'm going to go 4.75 and taking that 0.25 off because I think you're probably up to prime people a bit and say, look, it's going to be, it's going to be, you know, it's not going to be an easy ride, um, but it will be rewarding. Uh, So 4.75, repeat viewing score
2: don't know well yeah this is where it falls and down you right hate yourself
3: um <laughs> no <laughs> i don't know do you know what actually when i was thinking about doing this chat and i was mm. thinking about it i was like i probably would watch it again but in a more with a more like critical not to like critique it but just to kind of start to dissect it a little bit more like ha- why it worked as well as it did but then I was like, I haven't got time for that. So I wouldn't watch it again for pleasure. I don't know if I watched it the first time for pleasure. I watched it cause I had to watch it with you guys, but yeah. but you yeah. chose
0: it, yeah. kind of. <laughs> I, I, well, I'm
3: going to say like 2.7, unless you're doing like a film degree and then probably four.
0: Um, I think it's an interesting case of, oh, well, I'll talk about it in my section when I get to choose the mean score, uh, Jen
2: two point whatever is 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 way too high i i will never watch this film again i don't think <laughs> like I, I i'm glad i watched it but i don't think i'm going to go back
0: um, so when let's let's take this back a step because you didn't watch it this time round. no it's a combination in fairness, of you're too busy but also in it was fairness like, uh, i would
2: have watched it this time around okay sure. um out of necessity but um I didn't. Uh, And that was more due to being the single mum of a two-year-old with a more than full-time job and a book to promote. I had intended to watch it, but yeah. Uh, But no, I don't think beyond beyond this, I don't think I would choose to watch it again. If it was on the telly, I might watch it, but I don't think I would be like, right, I'm going to go and sit down and actively pursue it. So I guess I'd give it like a, a one. If it was on the telly, I wouldn't like shy away from it, but I wouldn't. Yeah. Helen.
1: So, so am I the only one who's seen it twice then? Yeah. Um, I don't think you need to see it twice. I saw it, um, (laughs) (laughs) at the start of this year and I was like, it's only an hour 37. I can do that again. And I was kind of like, well, I'll just watch it again just because it has been a while, um, since I've seen it. And I, I don't think, I don't know what I got from it the second time round that I didn't kind of get the first time round. So, um, uh, 1.5.
0: Um, I'm going to go a bit higher than you guys. Um, 1.5, you say, I'm going to go for a two. Um, and that's because I would watch it again, not anytime soon, but I will, because I want to kind of see where the I'd probably be paying attention to the technicality of it and the, and the, where the seams change and the, and where the seams are. Um, because the, you know, I think about the piano and you see that in the first two scenes, but then they're, they're wildly different, those scenes. And you think, and it's also in the same play, position in that in that flat, in that, what would be that flat, whether it's his flat or Anne's flat. And I'm like, was it the same place? Where are we at this point? And it's just, it's just, it's just things like that. I want to, I'd like to, I'd, that's how I digest it if I was, when I was, when I watch the next. Yeah, uh, I agree. But what's, what's your flat kind of position? That kind of, um, insight uh small screen score hannah
3: well i watched on my laptop
0: mm.
3: and again it's like so it is kind of a telefilm so four
2: fair play uh jen yeah i also watched it on my laptop and i don't think that it in any way detracted from the viewing experience so yeah mm. I'd, I'd say for
0: helen
1: um so I saw it in the cinema the first time on regular size TV the second time. Um, I mean, other than do support your local cinema and go and see films that aren't big blockbusters. Um, There's, you know, it's, it's fine. Perfect for TV viewing. I don't think it really changed that much other than the, the joy of cinemas. Um, So uh, yeah, a five. Yeah,
0: um, let's go for five. I, I think I've seen, I've seen still Alice, for example, in, in the cinema was, which is, Depicts dementia or uh, in that kind of trajectory, and I, I think that was that, that left the four walls of a flat, for example. Uh, but still, I think that was very would work very well on small screen. I think this does work very well on small screen. I don't think it's as stagey as some uh, stage plays can films, but I think it does a great job on the small screen. Um, engagement score, Hannah. I'll go four point seven
3: five.
0: No worries. No explanation. Just feel no. oh, that's, that's that's it.
2: <laughs> that's it. Uh, Jen, I think I'll go five because I think when you're in it, you're really, really in it. It really mm. is quite gripping, and I also think that's partly to do with the time of it. It is mercifully brief, and I also think more films should be an hour and a half. <laughs> a lot of films can't carry being longer than an hour and a half, and I'd like to see more ninety-minute films, please. Thanks, Helen.
1: I mean, that's something I can 100% get behind. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go five as well. Just completely absorbing, re- really absorbing. And you, and yeah, like if you, if you're not paying attention, then like, how are you going to know? You're going to be even more disorientated by it. So you, you have to give it your attention and like the performances are great. You can't tear your eyes off it.
0: Yeah. I'm going to go for five as well. I, yeah, once you get it started, uh, well, you have to be in the mood to watch it, I think, but once it started, um, you, you'll be missing lots of stuff if you're not paying attention um, and it's not difficult to pay attention. Uh, so that gives us an overall score of 3.96875, great, yeah, decent. Uh, it's the it's repeat repeating score that let mm. it down, let it down mm. in inverted commas, but I think that's wholly fair in this case. So thank you very much, Hannah, for bringing uh, The Father to us. Everyone who's listening right now do follow us on Twitter. Uh, we are at Pod, And of course, as well as just uh, following us to find out what we're ta- chatting about on the films and Netflix in general, uh, we do put a shout out asking you guys to comment and review on the film and put look for a tweet like this. We're reviewing The Father with Inspiragen and hate walker underscore brown have you seen it tells your thoughts and the score out of five stars from on air shout out and regular contributor lee thomas at lee thomas five says film of the year for me one of those great movies i'll probably never watch again it just hits too close to home five stars and that really emulates what, we from said. what we, yeah know, isn't it, really? yeah and we've taken 45 minutes to get there yeah he's just sitting in, like, in
3: a tweet
0: yeah <laughs> let's follow lee thomas guys as well <laughs> Not, not instead of, as well as, um, <laughs> Hannah and Jenkins sign off by telling everyone where we can find you guys online, remind them of your books and say sayonara, goodbye, ciao, adios, arrivederci, uh, whatever you want to say to the listeners.
3: Yes, I'm on Twitter, which is my full name, Hannah Walker-Brown, or we're also on Twitter, Broccoli Productions, um, Google both of us, you'll find our websites. My book is called A Delicate Game, Brain Injury, Sport and Sacrifice, and can be found Waterstones, independent booksellers, Amazon, if you're that way
0: inclined. Jen?
2: Yeah, uh, I am on Twitter where I am, at InspiraGen. It's an Olympics-based pun, just FYI. And also Instagram where I am, Jen, with two Ns, because one N was gone off, so J-E-N-N-O-F-F. And my book is called The Year of the Robin, Watching It All Go Wrong for Charlton Athletic and the World, and is available from all good bookshops and online the same places Hannah's mentioned
0: basically so go buy one book and then buy the other at the same time the same basket at the same time have a yeah, full yeah. feast for yourself yeah, absolutely yeah. both sports based from a different angle not just talking about scoring goals or you know crossing finishing lines you know um, guys thank you so much it's been a pleasure I'm glad I, I'm really glad I watched it that's the way to say it thank you very much for bringing that
1: thank thanks. you thanks for coming on thank you bye bye bye, bye. Audio tell them Flix Watcher sent you
2: You just heard a stripped media production.